0: I'd like you to try to picture this scene with me. It is the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's the last night of the feast, in fact, and a massive crowd. Just picture you're one of the crowd. A massive crowd of Jewish faithful are gathered in and around the temple area for the ceremony that's called the Illumination of the Temple. This ceremony involves inviting or lighting four golden oil fed lamps at the top of the temple wall. These lamps were huge. You can't even picture the scope of them. At least 75 feet tall, filled with 65 liters of oil each. There's a ladder attached to each of these candles. At the right time, a young priest would climb that ladder holding the oil. They would dump the oil into the candle and light a protruding wick and the flames would leap forth in the city of Jerusalem. Here's a picture, an artist's rendition of what this may have looked like. As the torches were lit, the worship began. People began to sing and dance. And I just want you to imagine the smell of the oil, the heat of the torches, the noise of the worship and celebration, and most of all, the brilliant light in the midst of the darkness. What was this ritual for? Well, it was to remember the great cloud of fire, the very glory of God, we're told, that led the Israelites through their wilderness journey. Now It's the very next morning after this ceremony in the same temple area with those torches still in place where Jesus comes onto the scene and for all who could hear him, he says these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you were present, you did not miss his message. He was saying, in effect, that pillar of fire that you celebrated last night, the glory of God that led you in the wilderness journeys, it's here. I am he. I am in your presence. Some people who were present were furious. How could a man from Galilee make such an outrageous claim? Other people believed what he said, and it changed their lives forever. How about you? What have you decided about this man who claims to be much more than a man? This man who claims to be the very glory of God present here on earth. The one who said, I am the light of the world. If you haven't been with us, we're in a study as a church family in the letter to Ephesians. Uh, Really, for the whole part of this year, the better part of this year, we've been walking through this letter. If you weren't with us last spring, we walked through chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. and chapters 1 through 3, as you can see up there, it's all about our identity in Christ. And we were learning to be convinced in our identity in Christ. We discovered some amazing things that happen when we profess faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, we become redeemed people. We become adopted sons and daughters in God's family. We are saved by grace through faith. We have left death and come into life. We become a part of a greater body. The body of Jesus Christ. Those are just a few things we learned last year. And then this fall, we picked up Ephesians again in chapter four. And all, there's this major shift that takes place in this letter of Ephesians in chapter four, where essentially what Paul does is says, listen, if that's who you are, It's going to affect the way that you live your life. And so starting many weeks ago in chapter 4, verse 1, we talked about what our new identity means for the way we live. And so we've talked about it this way. We're learning how to live out our identity in Ephesians 4 through 6. And so the last four weeks, it was kind of a heavy time. We talked about these things that Paul calls us as believers, if you're in Christ, to put off in our lives. We talked about these areas that can hinder us from becoming more like Jesus, which is God's goal for us as believers. So we talked about putting off things like lying and anger and stealing and malice and unwholesome talk. And last week we talked about putting off sexual sin. And Paul concluded that section with this interesting verse in chapter 5, verse 7, when he writes, Do not be partners with those who walk in those things. In this passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul gives a reason for believers to continue to put these things off and to not partner with those who say it's okay to put them on. And just to give you a little hint, it all goes back to this amazing claim this man made some 2,000 years ago after the illumination of the temple ceremony when he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever believes in me will no longer walk in darkness. If the past four weeks were all about what we are to put off in Jesus Christ, Paul is essentially going to tell us one more reason why those things are not who you are as a person who walks in the light of the Lord. So why don't you take your Bible with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're starting in verse 8 together this morning. If you don't have your own Bible, we always encourage you to grab one in the seat in front of you or underneath you. And you can find Ephesians 5 verse 8 on page 816. Now, as you're turning there, let me just set a little context. Light and darkness are perhaps the two most used metaphors in the entire Bible used to describe the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Or, if you like, used to describe the difference between someone who is in Christ and someone who does not believe in Christ. John describes God this way in 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. When Jesus arrives on the scene, this God in flesh, one of the first things that's said about him in John 1 5 is this, the light shines in the darkness. He's come. The light has come into the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The Bible throughout the world that we live in is often, excuse me, the world we live in in the Bible is often described as darkness. Darkness. And the people in this world who do not know Christ are either blinded to the fact that they walk in darkness, 2 Corinthians 4.4, or even worse, they refuse to acknowledge the light that has come in Jesus. Jesus said it himself in John 3.19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Who's he talking about? Himself. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All this is to say is that the claim of the Bible which is certainly not PC today, is that this world is in darkness, and the only way to light is faith in Christ. But the amazing news is, if you have placed your trust and your faith in Christ, we are told here that something changed the moment you did. You moved from darkness into light. Colossians 1 says it best. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption The forgiveness of sins. So that's just some context. We've spent all last spring talking about our identity in Christ. And Paul concludes this whole section about what we're supposed to put off. And it's almost like he wants to give us one more identity check. Here's just one more thing about who you are in Christ. And the reason you put these things off in your life is because, would you read verse 8 out loud with me on your notes there? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, I read that verse many times this week. I want you to look at it carefully again. At first, I kind of thought Paul was missing a word. He was missing the word in. In other words, this is what I thought it should read. You were once in darkness, but now you are in the light. Did the translators of the English Bible miss something here? No, actually. The message of the Bible is clear, friends. We weren't just in darkness. We were darkness before we met Jesus Christ. It's not just that our understanding was darkened. We were dark. We were darkness. But we're told here if you are in Christ, here's a new identity for you. You're light. You are light. You're not just in the light, you are light. Of course, what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about a person's conversion. He's talking about a person coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of a Christian's conversion, and what it's saying is something astonishing. It's saying you were once darkness. You lived in this realm of darkness. You lived in the kingdom of this world, and God has taken you out of darkness and brought you into an entirely different kingdom, a kingdom of light. Conversion, faith in Christ, is nothing less than moving from one realm to another realm. That's how big it is. A lot of churches have kind of blurred this distinction. A lot of churches say what it means to be a Christian is just to be a better person, a nicer person, to live a moral life. But friends, ultimately that makes Christianity no different than every other religion. A lot of religions, a lot of philosophies talking about the need to be enlightened, right? I mean, We have to, we have to be more enlightened. But that's not what Christianity is teaching. It's not just you need to get some more information so that you can be more enlightened and you can walk in a certain way. Christianity teaches you are darkness. And the only way you can be light is by faith in Christ who was the light of the world. That's the message of the the Bible. It's a matter of two different kingdoms we're talking about here. It's not just a matter of getting more information so that you're smarter or more enlightened. This is why we can never say Christianity is just one of many pathways to God or one way to enlightenment, the claim of Jesus himself. We we just heard it, is I am the light of the world. Not a light of the world. I am the light of the world. And whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness again. This identity change is what happens to you the moment you believe in Christ. And it's why he would finish verse 8 with these words, Live as children of light. Then there's this little parenthesis, and we're going to come back to that. And he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. I love this. This is all what we've been talking about this fall, right? If you are light, if that has happened to you, if you've been converted, if you've come into faith in Jesus Christ, then live like it. Live like the light you are. Become who you are. That word live. Once again, it's our word walk. We've heard it the last few weeks here. Walk. In the light of the Lord. Paul loves this metaphor for the Christian life, right? It's not just a matter of being perfect. We can't get there. It's a matter of walking. It's a matter of progress. If you're light, you're going to start making some progress in your walk with Christ. And our walk must be characterized by more and more light. We've been saying it this way over and over again every week. Our behavior will begin to conform to our new identity in Christ if we are really in Christ. We will see progress in the Christian life. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse gives a great illustration. I kind of like this, so I want to share it with you. He said, when Christ was in the world, he was like the shining sun. When the sun sets, the moon comes up. The moon is a picture of believers, the church. The church shines, but listen, not with its own light. It shines with reflected light. At times, the church has been a full moon, dazzling the world with an almost daytime light. At other times, the church has only been a thumbnail moon, and in those days, very little light shone on the earth. Whether the church is a full or thumbnail moon, whether waxing or waning, we reflect the light of Christ. Somehow, our incorporation in Christ allows us, allows you, allows me to be light, however imperfect we are. But the point is that the light did not originate with us. It is the light of Christ. But mysteriously, because we are in Christ, we are the light of Christ in this world. And so the bottom line of all this discussion is that Christians are to be God's light in this dark world. The believer has no business messing with the darkness anymore. So that's why for four weeks, Paul has been telling us, put off those things. Don't be partners with those who call sin okay. Put that stuff off from your life. Why? Because you're a child of the light. And whoever is in the light will no longer walk in darkness anymore. In fact, Paul is now going to talk about some of the things you can expect in your life as you put those things off and you begin to walk in the light of the Lord. So there's three results I see in this text of what will happen as a person begins to walk in the light of the Lord. Number one, we will begin to bear fruit. As we put those things off in our life and we begin to walk in the light of the Lord, we will bear fruit. Paul doesn't mind mixing metaphors. Have you ever noticed that? He's talking about light. Now he's going to talk about growing fruit. That's all right. And actually, maybe it's not a mixed metaphor. Think back to uh, like seventh grade science. I know that's hard for some of you. But you remember you learned about something called photosynthesis. How does a plant grow fruit? Like we have an apple tree in our backyard. Haven't seen one apple yet. How does that apple tree actually produce fruit? What does it need? It needs water and what else? Light. Will a tree produce fruit if it isn't in the light? No. No. If, you covered, if I covered that tree completely in darkness, it would wither and die, right? And in the same way, as we learn to walk more consistently as Christians, as we learn to walk in the light, our lives will just naturally begin to bear certain kinds of fruit. If, however, we keep putting on that stuff that keeps us from growing in Christ, just like that tree, we will never bear spiritual fruit. Paul gives us some examples of fruit we might see in our lives in verse 9. He says, For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let me just say, this is not an exhaustive list. Some of you have heard of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. right? There's other examples that Paul gives uh, and and Jesus gives as well. It's just things that are going to happen to us. Things that will happen to us as we begin to walk in the light of the Lord here. Paul's point in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit passage, and in this passage is, as you learn to walk, certain things will begin to grow out of your life. Think of it this way. I read a story this week of a man who returned from a trip, and he bought his wife a little trinket. It was a matchbox that said it would glow in the dark. And so he gave it to her, and they were all excited to try it out. They turned off the lights, but nothing happened. And so, of course, they thought maybe we got ripped off here, but they noticed there were some words on the matchbox written in French. So they went to one of their friends who spoke French, and she translated it for them, and it said this If you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. In other words, this matchbox, for it to work, it needed to be soaking in the light during the daytime so that it could shine at night. Listen, in the same way, how do we grow fruit as Christians? Just by trying really hard? Is my little apple tree just not trying hard enough? A lot of people will teach this. A lot of churches teach this, right? You just got to try a lot harder to bear some fruit in your life. No, that's not the answer. Jesus gives us the answer to bearing fruit in John 15, 5, when he would say this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, how much can we do? That's good news to me. Is it to you? It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of abiding in Jesus. How do we learn to abide? We don't use that word much. I purposely wanted us to think about this word, though. How do we abide? We just spend time with him, right? How do you spend time with Jesus? Will you spend time in prayer you spend time in his word you spend time in other disciplines of grace is what i like to call them exposing your life i know we only have digi- all of us are used to digital pictures now but remember the day when you had to expose pictures to the light in order for them to develop in a similar way like we put ourselves in jesus presence so that his image his character can begin to burn itself on us and what we'll notice is that pretty soon the more time i'm spending abiding in the vine the more my life will begin to look like his, and I will grow fruit like goodness and righteousness and truth. Let's talk about those three things. What is goodness? A lot of times today we hear that word, and what do we think? Nice. We're supposed to be nice as Christians, and that's somewhat true, but really in the Bible, goodness means generous. It means generous. You know, when we talk about, like, he was good to me, what are you saying? He was generous towards me. He helped me. Goodness is love in action, right? It's the result of love towards somebody. I'm good towards them. Now, would you describe Jesus as a good person while he walked this earth? Of course you would. He was kind and loving and generous. And the point here is as we abide in him, this trait of goodness will begin to develop in our life as well. It'll begin to grow out of us. Secondly, we will grow in righteousness. Now, there's two words for righteousness. One means the moment when I accepted Christ, I was declared righteous, right? God said, not guilty to me anymore. But the word that they're talking about here, Paul's talking about here, is referring to upright behavior. It means living rightly, as simply as I can say it. Righteousness just means I'm going to live right. I'm going to be a person of integrity. What I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. I'm not going to live one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. In this context, specifically, it means I'm going to put off those things we just spent four weeks talking about in my life. Anger and lying and malice and the like. Thirdly, we will grow in truth. And my favorite definition of that is conformity to the word and will of God. A person who is growing in truth will be conforming themselves to the word and will of God. This is the opposite of falsehood, right? Truth describes sincerity, dependability, genuineness. You are who you are. In all places, in all arenas of life, you're not a fake, you're true. To use last week's example, if you were here, a person of truth takes Jesus at his word, even in those double yellow line things and lives accordingly. These are the fruit of walking in the light of Christ. Now, it's always good for us to ask ourselves, what kind of fruit is my life bearing right now? And Paul says we should often ask that question of ourselves. What kind of fruit is my life bearing right now? And there are seasons in my life, I don't know about yours, but I don't see goodness and righteousness and truth. And so the answer isn't try harder, Steve. Try to be gooder. The answer is, Spend more time with me. Abide in me. Come get your life from me. The second result of learning to walk in the light is that we will begin to expose the darkness of sin. I get this from verses 11 and 12. Look at that with me. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So catch that. Light produces fruit, but light can also expose what is wrong. Simply put, it shows sin for what it is. As we walk in the light, it shows sin for what it is. Several years ago, I watched one of those 2020 shows. I wish I hadn't. That basically asked the question, how clean are the hotel rooms we stay in? And how do you figure that out? Well, what they did is they turned off all the lights in these hotel rooms and then they took one of those blue lights and they started making their way around the hotel room. little word of advice to you here. This is free. First thing you should do when you go to a hotel room is take off the comforter and never touch it again. I'm just just letting you know. So this light just shows all these stains everywhere. It shows all this grime that you can't see. Unless it was exposed by this blue light. In a similar way, friends, we're told here is we learn to walk in the light. We're going to begin to expose the darkness of sin for what it really is. And this happens in two places. It happens in my own life, and it happens in the lives of others. Let's talk about our own lives first. I don't know about you. But the more time I spend abiding with Jesus, the more often I start getting things exposed in my life that I never had seen before. Does this happen to you? I was reading uh, John 4 uh, this week. I spend time in God's word every morning. I want to abide in Christ, right? I'm reading John 4, which is the story of the woman at the well. And, you know, she was trying to find satisfaction from the wells of this world. And Jesus says, I'm the well of living water. If you come to me, you'll never thirst again. And I was exposed, friends, at that moment. I'm trying to find my satisfaction in other wells too. There's other things in life I think that are going to satisfy me. Or they're going to fill that hole in my heart. And I had that exposed and I confessed that. Lord, I want you to be the living water in my life today. The word "expose" means to put something to the test. To examine it. I just think of it this way. It's my opportunity to bring my life to Jesus and say, what do you see that I don't see right now that I really need to see? What do you see that I don't see that I need to see? Friends, that's not legalism. It's simply the natural result of a person who is walking in the light, renewing their mind, ensuring that their conduct is pleasing to the Lord. So as we walk in the light, we'll begin to expose the darkness in our own lives. But it also says here in this passage that as we walk in the light, we will expose the darkness in the world around us. This is really the sense of verse 13. It says, those who walk in the light will expose the shameful deeds that are done in darkness that he talks about in verse 12. All that is to say, can I just put this as simply as I can? As you begin to truly live out your identity in Christ, you will find yourself. You will. You will find yourself in situations or in relationships where your way of life clashes with the people around you. Can I get an amen? They are not going to be able to help but see there is something different about you. And often what takes place is it exposes something in them. Just to make calm you down a little bit here, this happened to Jesus all the time. Everywhere he went, Right? Everywhere he went, people are just being exposed to, to this light, and different reactions would take place. The religious leaders, they hated him. Why? Because they were coming face-to-face with someone who was exposing their darkness, and so their natural response was, we need to push this away. We need to get rid of this. Of course, there were other people, like the woman at the well I just mentioned, who had their darkness exposed, who had their sin exposed, and what did that do for them? It drew them. To him. And I'm just going to tell you, you also, as you learn to walk in the light, will have those two responses, right? There are some going to be pushing you away, saying you're intolerant, you're judgmental. How dare you You think that? How dare you live that way? But there's going to be others, like the woman at the well, who go, that's a different way to live. That's a different way to live, and it looks more fulfilling than the way I'm living right now. The last thing that can happen, friends, is as we learn to walk in the light, I see this in verse 13. It's related to that one. It says, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It's a fascinating phrase. Essentially what it's saying is that, yes, light exposes darkness, but it can also turn darkness into light. In other words, as we learn to walk in the light of the Lord, the promise here is not only will some people like go, oh, now I see the darkness in my own life. Thank you. They're actually going to be attracted to the light of life, which is Jesus himself. He's talking about people actually becoming Christians because of the way we live out our life. Wow, isn't that amazing? Think of yourself as a lighthouse. Right? We are all lighthouses, and we are all pointing, shining the light of Jesus Christ. And for some people who are out there lost in the darkness of the sea, they're going to see the light, and they're going to be drawn to Jesus. Jesus. This is similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. Would you read this on the screen out loud with me? He said, we got it? Darkness. (laughs) Ready? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you get that? By your conduct... By your character, you can bring God's light into a dark world, and others might just see him for who he really is. I want to do a quick illustration as a way for this to just burn in your head how important it is that we consider this whole idea that we are light of the world. That's our identity. So I'm going to ask you to turn off the lights, whoever's doing that. Okay. So I want you to picture and imagine that I'm Jesus. I know that's a... Far stretch for a lot of you, for me as well. He shows up on the scene, right? We talked about it in the very beginning, and he says, I am the light of the world, and we are in the middle of darkness, and does my light make a difference? Absolutely, it does. But I want you to see how genius God's plan was for redemption, for his calling us, if we are in Christ, into this mission, into this journey. If you have a phone, would you mind pulling that out and turning on a light? I just want you to look around. How much more impactful is it for Jesus to have left this earth and ascended into heaven and sent his spirit into those who would follow him so that we can now bring this light into this dark world? Just take a look at this. This is what this passage is talking about. We can bring light into the darkness of this world. Thanks for joining me in that illustration. Friends, we're living in a dark world and many have never seen that light before. And I wonder if that's not why Paul closes this whole section in verse 14 with these words I have on your notes. Would you read them out loud with me? It says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is he talking about here? Personally, I think Paul is speaking to two groups of people. He's talking to Christians and non-Christians. And his message to the Christians is simply this. Are you a child of light? Can you say that's a part of your new identity? If so, how brightly are you shining? Do you need to wake up, he says, wake up to the fact that your life is a reflection of Jesus and he has a purpose for you to be a light in this dark world? I got to tell you, there are a lot of Christians who are asleep in their faith, and they don't even know it. Sadly, it's possible to be asleep in the church and still be regarded well by others. It's possible to be asleep and yet appear to be awake. It reminds me of my father-in-law. One of our favorite things about him is he has this uncanny ability to fall asleep anywhere at any time. Do any of you have this? We love it. So we'll be in the middle of like a game night. And all of a sudden, he's, he's out. But the best part about him is he will pretend that he's not actually asleep. And so he'll wake up, and five minutes later, and he'll like try to engage back in the conversation like he wasn't actually sleeping. I think that's a great picture of what Paul's talking about for a lot of Christians here. It's possible to say all the right things, but not actually live them. It's possible to live one way on Sunday and live a totally different way on Monday. It's possible for us, did you know, to pray while we're sleeping. We are just mouthing words, but we're not even thinking about what we're saying. It's possible for us to stand here on Sunday morning and sing songs of glory to God, but be asleep to what we're actually saying. Worst of all, it's possible to not care one bit about people who are living in the darkness in this world. And so, as Jesus says, we hide our light under a table of inaction and unconcern. Paul's word to the church is... Wake up. Wake up to the fact that you are the light of the Lord. Everything is at stake here. Eternity is at stake here for people. This is a dark world, so live in such a way that your light shines bright. I think Paul also has a message for unbelievers here, though. And he says to them, do you need to wake up to the fact that you are in darkness? As much as you've tried to enlighten yourself, do you need to wake up to the fact that only the light of this world can bring light into your life? Do you need to wake up to the fact that he is the light of the world as he says he is? And that by following him, you don't have to walk in the darkness anymore. Have you done that? Have you invited him into your life? If there's anybody this morning who realizes, I've never done that. That's never happened to me. I've never been convicted of sin like that. I've never thought of myself as walking in darkness or being darkness for that matter. I don't want that anymore. Then I wonder if the invitation to you in this verse here is to come to the light of the Lord and say to him, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior this morning. I need to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into your marvelous light. And the only way to do that is for you to expose the darkness of my sin and for me to turn from that and rely on the grace of Jesus Christ that was poured out for me on the cross. That is his invitation to anyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see. So do it now. Do it now. Take the time this morning as we have a a time of reflection at the end of this service to just pour your heart, heart out to the Lord. If you've done that already, the promise to you and the promise to the person who does that this morning is you are no longer darkness. Your identity has changed to a person of light. You have moved from one realm into another realm. Was it by your own efforts at enlightenment? It's by the grace of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion now, we take just a minute of silence and we ask ourselves this question because you are a personal God and you want to speak to every seat in this place. What's your word to me this morning, Lord? What's your word to me this morning? What do I need to hear? And perhaps what do I need to do? We spend time now with you contemplating that, bringing that to you.